Hi, I'm Alex Mosed, and we're here on Winner Take All, where we talk about how tech monopolies and the incumbents are battling it out uh, for today's domination in, in the business environment. Today, we're going to talk about recent antitrust probes launched by states to look at Facebook and Google, um, Open Door, which uh, buys homes and then flips them, uh, just made an acquisition, and we're going to dive into that in the real estate market. Um, Apple is uh, an article came out recently that Apple is copying uh, popular apps on the App Store, emulating their features and then doing them themselves. We're going to jump into that, as well as um, a recent announcement from uh, the medical device arena about opening up medical devices for patients and making that process much more seamless. And then looking at um, Union Square Ventures and and where their priorities are. Uh, in investing these days. So you may have heard that uh, a, a number of states now have launched investigations into Facebook and Google. And um, there's two different probes here. One probe led by New York, second announced by Texas. Um, so I guess the New York one has seven states, the Texas one has 40 states. And and basically what it seems like, it seems like these are all kind of piggyback probes. Um we saw Facebook settle with the FTC for a few billion dollars, maybe uh, four or six weeks ago. Um, and, and you're seeing now YouTube settle a small claim with, with uh, its, its advertising to children. And I think what you're seeing now is that since these companies have settled with the federal regulators, now the states are trying to get a piece of the action as well. Is this going to materially impact Facebook or Google's business? No, it's not. Um, is this really, I think this is more of just kind of a shakedown. Uh, the states have seen that Facebook and Google have a vulnerability uh, that Facebook and Google are willing to settle for big sums of money to make that lawsuit, um, or that those claims go away. And the states now are going to try and play a similar card. This is around privacy and, and Facebook and Google abusing consumers data, um, and, uh, and, and playing games in the ad market. But look, at the end of the day, um, as we've said many, many, many times before, this really doesn't harm the consumer. These companies are giving away way more value to the consumer in just the use of free software, free services, um, and all the value that these consumers are getting for free. And these consumers are voluntarily giving their data to these platforms. I think the average consumer understands the trade-off when they're using a Facebook or Google. Um, if you don't want to use them, then you can choose not to. And there's plenty of people, particularly in older ge generations, that I think prescribe to that theory. But is this going to cause Facebook and Google to get broken up? Absolutely not. The real thing that Facebook and Google should be concerned about is how they are regulating their producers and how Facebook and Google are either um, banning content creators on on a YouTube or an Instagram or Facebook and um, you know wiping away years and years of work for many content creators doesn't matter I'm not talking anything political here but there are a myriad of stories on both sides of the aisle in the US of just content creators that are being, uh, you know, saying that they violated the terms of use from Facebook or Google, and then they don't have any recourse. They don't have any alternative forum to go and take their complaint to. And this is what Zuckerberg in June at the Aspen Festival 
basically came out and said, hey, we need to be regulated because I'm not going to be able, Facebook is not going to be able to get this distinction correct. We aren't going to be able to figure out what is a violation of free speech and what is appropriate or harmful or abusive content or speech online that we should be taking down and penalizing content creators for. That is the purpose and role of government. Um, and so far, the FTC and the, and the DOJ have not really tackled that issue. Um, so instead, you know, the states are trying to drum up, I think, a lot of hoopla here. Maybe they get some money out of Facebook and Google. But again, the markets didn't react. The markets actually reacted positively uh, to Facebook settlement with the, with the FTC. I don't think this is going to really cause many waves other than the media loves to talk about it because the media has been destroyed by Facebook and Google and the media has a clear bias in reporting about all the bad things that Facebook and Google are doing um, and how they should be broken up and da 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 um, because the media is basically the arch enemy of Facebook and Google and they've destroyed their whole business model. So just a little bit of bias there. Going on this thread of platforms do compete with producers and really that is the vulnerability of where are the lines of competing with uh, producers and your suppliers. And if you want to talk antitrust, if you want to talk about actually being able to break up the tech monopolies, um, which is obviously kind of the big holy grail of threat to these companies, um, the only way that those claims have actually worked out is if you can show that you are um, putting the customer at a disadvantage. And when you look at the producer being a customer, which is true. So what's interesting about Apple, um, just uh, maybe a month or two ago, the Supreme Court ruled that um, Apple's contracts um, were actually violating antitrust law with their app developers because um, what Apple was doing was having the money go from the customer to Apple. Apple takes its cut, its 30% cut, and then gives the money to the app developer. And as a result of that, um, since the money wasn't going from consumer to app developer, and then Apple takes his cut after the fact. Um, the the argument was made that the consumers, the the you know people that own phones and are buying apps, are disadvantaged because Apple is is essentially passing on a thirty percent fee that the consumer is having to pay for, and that kind of uh, set off a bunch of alerts from the antitrust standpoint. Now. The dissenting opinion, it was a 5-4 ruling on the Supreme Court. The dissenting opinion, written by uh, Neil Gorsuch, basically said that this case is kind of, is basically inconsequential. All Apple needs to do is rewrite its contracts with its app developers, stating that the money is going to go from the consumer directly to the developer, and then Apple can take its 30% cut after the fact from the developer, um, as opposed to being the literal middleman uh, from the flow of money. All that means is uh, it's not anything, any antitrust judgment, that antitrust judgment isn't going to stick on Apple, and rightly so. But this story, this is where Apple should really be concerned about, okay? Because what this story is about is how Apple uses its app store to copy the best ideas. And there's a story in here about um, this app called Clue. Uh, a popular app women use to track their periods has risen to the near top of Apple's health and fitness category. And now basically Apple's health app has, has copied a lot of those features. Um, I don't think this specific example is Apple really doing anything wrong. Look, 
that's the reason we have patents. And if if Clue has something that they could patent, then they can enforce that in a court of law and they could say, hey, Apple, we patented this and you can't copy it. But otherwise, it's fair game. And that's just the way the world of software works, right? Is, you know, uh, um, you make an innovation in your app and I copy it and improve on upon it a little bit. And that's just it's literally exactly what Facebook did via Instagram to Snapchat. So Snapchat had stories long before Instagram had stories. And now Instagram stories are arguably way more popular than Snapchat stories. But Snapchat didn't try to sue Instagram or Facebook because they knew they would never win that lawsuit. So this is not something that's going to bring Apple specifically into uh, antitrust crosshairs. However, the stuff that we have spoken about in prior episodes where, say, Apple favors Apple Music and gives Apple Music preferential treatment or access to APIs on the iPhone much sooner than, say, Spotify, right? Or access to the Apple Watch much faster than Spotify. It's when you start to see the platform favor its own apps that are in direct competition with their producers, their third-party suppliers, basically. And then that's really where I think you can make an argument to say the platform is competing unfairly, and that is detrimental to competition, and that ultimately is raising prices on the customer. The customer in this case being the app developer, not the consumer, not the user of the iPhone. But if you just take into account how Apple now needs to change its flow of money, who is paying Apple 30%? It's now the app developer. So literally, by the definition, an app developer is a customer of Apple's App Store. And with the way antitrust law is written is to say that if the customer is put at a disadvantage by the monopoly because of their size and scale and lock-in power and all these things, um, then you can violate antitrust law. And so riddle me that, right? If the app developers are customers because they are paying the 30% fee to Apple, and there are now many, many stories much more aggressive or tangible than this story. I actually don't think this story is the meatiest one that's out there. Um, but uh, there are other ones that we've spoken about, like Spotify and others. Those stories, and I think Spotify has sued Apple um, a few months, no, maybe in the spring. And so those things should concern Apple. It's the same thing that Google um, if you look at what the Yelp CEO and the CEO of TripAdvisor, both platform companies, Yelp and TripAdvisor, and and uh, there's this company, Lyrics, which posts the lyrics to music songs, right? Um, Google's copying their content, and Lyrics has proof because they put little Easter eggs in the in the content, and then um, those Easter eggs sh- Easter eggs showed up. Um, in, uh, in, in Google's own lyric content. So obviously they're just ripping it off of these other websites and then putting it on their own site. And A, that's not okay. B, Google's PageRank, their, their matching algorithm to figure out where your website ranks on Google, um, is absolutely biased towards Google's own website properties. And so there are countless stories about other websites saying, and these are producers, right, that Google is competing unfairly and for these kinds of reasons. And this is where antitrust law and the existing antitrust precedent that's been around for 50 years is perfectly fine to be used 
to make the argument that platforms at the tech monopoly scale can stifle competition. Now, that's a real concern, and no one really focuses on that today. All they focus on is this privacy stuff. Privacy is a nothing burger, okay? There's really nothing there. Um, but, you know, the, the states, they've got their tin cup out, and maybe they can get some money out of these big tech monopolies, sure. But there's, there's really no big threat here. So, um, continuing on with Apple and now health records. So, this article here was just in the New York Times, and it's saying that Apple Health has now made a big push to uh, get access to the EMR, which is the electronic medical record. And um, the uh, fellow from the government here, it's this guy, uh, Dr. Don Rucker, the Federal Health Department's National Coordinator for Health Information Technology. Okay. He said that um, the idea is to treat medicine as a consumer service and that they want to give people convenient access to their medical data so it helps them better manage their health, seek second opinions, and understand medical costs. Um, this is major, major, major. He said the provision of healthcare will be brought into the app economy and through that to a much higher degree of patient control. And um, what's happening is the nonprofits, the American Medical Association, the American Hospital Association, um, are not happy about this. The American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, they're not happy about it. Um, these organizations, I, I think, should retract their statements and, and should really issue a solemn apology to the American public. And here's why. I bet if we analyzed who is actually funding these nonprofits, I bet a lot of money comes from the incumbent healthcare companies. I bet hospitals. I bet healthcare IT companies like the Epic and Cerner that we've spoken about at length on this show. Um, pharma companies. It's all the status quo, people. I bet the CVSs of the world and the health insurance companies. Um, they don't want disruption. They don't want tech monopolies to get access to health records. Because they know that that will be a nice wedge to blow up these walls that these incumbent companies have been able to build up around data and healthcare. And why this is so frustrating to me is because it's actually putting Americans' lives at stake. And not only is it increasing the cost of care, which is a huge problem in this country, but you're actually being a detriment to people's healthcare. You're actually causing people to get less care that they need and, and, and this, this point should not be taken lightly, okay? These organizations are supposed to be here for the patients. This is their argument. They're basically saying that patients are stupid and they don't understand what the large tech monopolies will do with their data. So what they want to do is say, oh, we need to create committees and we need to make sure that if the the patient says, I approve for my health record to go into Apple HealthKit, right? So this is the patient giving their explicit permission to give the health record into Apple Health, okay? These health uh, nonprofits are saying, well, no, 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 no. Consumers don't understand what they're getting themselves into because then the large tech companies could go and sell this data. And so we need to protect the consumer. Wake up, guys. It's 2019. 
You think every other day there isn't a story about Facebook and Google and now, you know, 50 states going after them for privacy violations. You think that consumers don't understand the, the implications of what happens if they give their data to Apple? You really think that, that patients and consumers are that stupid in this country? You need to give them the right to choose. And if they say, share my data into Apple Health, share it. Don't create all of these, muck up the whole process, probably have years of committee meetings, put all this regulation into place. And this is exactly what the healthcare industry has been doing for decades. And this is exactly why no one can get access to the health record right now. And this isn't just Epic and Cerner, but you can see the establishment. You can see the incumbents. And I guarantee these health nonprofits are absolutely biased. I guarantee that these health nonprofits are taking money from the incumbents. And that's who's really driving this. The incumbents don't want tech monopolies to get access to your health record. And just on our last episode, we basically documented how there are hundreds of billions of dollars worth of value if you can build a developer ecosystem around health records. And and why Epic and Cerner and incumbents have not been able to do this so far, they don't want it to happen. They may say they're trying, but they don't want it to happen. Um, And I give Allscripts. I believe Allscripts is the one that just did a deal with Apple Health a couple weeks ago. So Allscripts is an EHR, um, an EMR, so electronic health record, electronic medical record. They're interchangeable. So Epic and Cerner, on our last episode, we said, hey, Epic and Cerner control 58% of the EHR market. Allscripts, I think, was number five. Apple did a deal with Allscripts. To get to get more easy access to the health records um, in all scripts, so you can see these deals happening, right? Apple's trying to make deals on its own. The actual government guy, this Don Rucker guy, he's got it right. For once, the government has it right. Okay, we got to give this guy Don Rucker support because yeah, here he is, Doctor Don Rucker of the Department of Health and Human Services. I guarantee this guy's world is blowing up right now. I guarantee this guy is not having a happy life right now because everyone's going after this guy and I bet he is under immense pressure. So if you're on Twitter, let's find Don Rucker. Let's show him our support. Let's explain to him that he's got to keep on fighting the good fight. And oh man, these health nonprofits should really feel guilty. These health nonprofits their executive leadership should really take a good, long, hard look at themselves in the mirror and really think about why they took the job that they have. Because what they're doing right now, trying to prevent consumers to get easy access to their medical records. I mean, what world do we live in? It's ridiculous to me. It's beyond ridiculous. So anyway, you can tell I'm a little passionate about it. It's people's lives at stake. Okay. Not to mention huge money and huge opportunity. Moving on. We've spoken about uh, how uh, Redfin in the ETF, kind of a Zillow competitor also in the ETF, uh, made, a par- made a deal with Opendoor. So we announced that uh, Zillow launched um, the Zillow Offers program, where now uh, Zillow will give you an offer for your home and say, hey, I'll buy your home outright. Here's the amount of money I'll give you. Um, Open door is basically that's their entire business. Uh, they're valued at about four billion dollars. 
which is quite phenomenal when you consider that Zillow public company is between six and seven billion dollar market cap right now. It's a big company. Redfin's actually a touch under two billion dollar market cap. So the linear company, Opendoor, is actually valued at a much higher valuation than the platform company, Redfin. Granted, Zillow's the, the leader, Redfin's the number two. But now you can kind of understand why Opendoor and Redfin partnered up, I think maybe a couple months ago, um, where Redfin's now working with Opendoor to do these deals where Redfin has access and a lot of data about homes and their values and will now offer to consumers these deals to buy their home. What Opendoor just announced here is that they are buying this title company called OS National. And so basically what they're doing is they're streamlining the uh, home buying process. So when you want to actually buy a home, then there's all these things with escrow and title transfer. You know, it's basically, it's the last mile of actually getting the money to the seller and transferring the deed and the title and, and making the purchase official, right? So this company has about 500 people in it, OS National. Um, and so what Opendoor is really doing is just streamlining that fulfillment process, right? Just the, the last end of, of the funnel, um, which really shows you the scale at which they're operating because they are now saying, I'm just now making it that much easier for you to sell your home to me, right? Compared to having to do this manually and, and, and deal with it um, in the traditional way of selling your home. Now, OS, OS National, now Opendoor, is basically removing even more friction out of the uh, home purchasing process. I predict that Opendoor and Redfin will either merge. I would have told you that Redfin would have acquired Opendoor, but now looking at their valuations, it might actually be the other way around. It might actually be that Opendoor acquires Redfin or they merge or something like that. But I predict that these two companies are going to come together. What you want to have, and we've spoken about this at length, is you want to have the linear model and the platform model, and you want the two things to work together. So if you can fuse both of these businesses together and have them play off of each other's strengths, that's a very potent combination. Zillow is doing this organically where they're launching their own home buying operation internally, as opposed to, I'm, I'm sure they could maybe look at doing an acquisition, but this market's heating up the home buying, home flipping market. Um, and I think Opendoor's ability to just have greater access to data and essentially deal flow from the platform being Redfin um, is, a, is a huge advantage. And I feel like you're going to see some kind of consolidation here between platform and linear and how these two companies are actually much more powerful um, if brought together. So that'll be quite exciting as we monitor um, how that all comes together. So last thing here, Union Square Ventures. I love Union Square. We actually have one of the partners from Union Square blurbed our beautiful book. Um, Union Square launched a new website. And what was interesting, I was looking through this website. You know, they go through their different thesi. Is that correct? Thesi? Theses? Maybe theses. I don't know. 1.0. So you can see here, these, these are the deals in the early 2000s. 2.0. This is kind of the, you know, the, the, the subsequent, I guess, eight or eight year period of time. Um, and thesis 1.0 is large networks of engaged users. Okay. Then it goes, um, now we look for less obvious network effects. Okay. And um, now what they're saying is three, thesis 3.0, which is today, are enabling trusted brands that broaden access to knowledge, capital, and well being by leveraging networks, platforms, and protocols. Okay. They're not on the platform bandwagon anymore. 
Okay. They're saying we're going to basically invest in linear companies that are building brands on platforms. Open door, linear company, trying to do deals with Redfin and, and what's going on there. Um, what we've spoken about in the past with um, Sonder on Airbnb. I bet they're kind of kicking themselves that they didn't invest in that. But basically saying, if we understand what the dominant platforms are going to be, and platforms being the most dominant business model of the 21st century, that's the subheader. Um, if we understand what areas of the economy the platform is going to come to dominate over the next five to 10 years, I want to invest in the most dominant linear brands within those networks. And that's exactly what Sonder is doing. I think Sonder, and we've spoken about how Marriott should really look at buying Sonder as opposed to trying to compete head to head with Airbnb. Horrible decision. But Sonder is really trying to become the brand, the Marriott brand of basically, you know, homeowner rented apartments uh, on Airbnb. So can you have a brand associated with kind of living in an apartment or renting an apartment like a hotel room, but it's not a hotel room? And can you build that brand equity within the network and the platform that will eventually become extremely, extremely dominant and become a platform monopoly? And that's what Union Square is betting on right now. And why is this? Because basically, you need a dominant development platform every 10 years or so. And we haven't seen the next dominant development platform. So you had the internet, then you had smartphones. Smartphones have been around for over 10 years. I mean, what is the new greatest app that you're going to make today that just blows everyone away? Um, people thought it was going to be AR and VR as a dev platform. People thought messaging was going to be kind of like a pseudo dev platform because we kind of saw that in China. It didn't take off here for a few different reasons. I think that automotive is going to be the next dev platform. Uh, I don't think it's going to be here in the next one to two years. Uh, but as we've spoken about uh, maybe three episodes ago, I think Android Automotive is what I would put my money on right now. Um, curious if Union Square is investing in in anything like that. But um, the automotive industry, even pre-autonomy, it's a trillion dollars worth of services that flow in and out of the vehicle every year. Once you get to autonomy, 5x that number, it's probably $5 trillion. And what Google is doing with Android Automotive and with Waymo, where they're saying, hey, auto manufacturers, I'll give you access to Waymo basically for free. But you need to put my operating system into your vehicle. Once Google has its operating system in your vehicle, now Google controls what services flow in and out of the car. And then Google can be the toll, right? The middleman, the gatekeeper, whatever you want to call them where they're going to take some points on the money flowing through the vehicle. There's going to be a lot of innovation that can come about in the dev platform for the, uh, for the automotive environment. But until then, it's just hard. You know what? It's hard to create a new dominant platform that no one else has tried or come about, come about yet. You really need that combination of technology, innovation, and, and data. And, and as we talk about in the book, it's really the confluence of these three things, technology, people, and data. And that in the past 25 years has really what has enabled all these platform businesses to reign supreme and become so dominant. Um, 
But you'll see it every 10 to 20 years, you'll absolutely see a new technological shift. Fortunately, we went from internet to smartphone somewhat quickly within basically a 10-year, roughly 10, 15-year period of time. We're due. It's coming. I think Android Automotive, and, and you'll see all of this really come to life certainly in the next three to five years. Um, if, the, if the auto manufacturers can get their act together, that's another story. We'll see. Um, but short of, and there's other things as well that beyond just uh, auto dev platforms, but um, I think definitely in the next three to five years, we're going to see another dev platform rise to dominance that then other businesses can be built on top of. And that's that operating system, right? So in the book, we identify three different types of uh, development platforms, closed, controlled, and open dev platforms. And basically, um, you have uh, closed dev platforms like Salesforce, you have controlled dev platforms like operating systems, Android, uh, Windows, open dev platforms like a Linux. And we go into a lot of detail about the differences between them and, and all these kinds of things. But I think the next controlled dev platform in my language, it's okay if you don't understand my language, but basically a dominant operating system that other businesses and software and tech companies can be built on top of. Um, we don't have one. And until then, I think Union Square is right to focus on three, Thesis 3.0. Oh, the blockchain was another one that was supposed to enable all these new businesses. And, and USV was pretty big on that. Interesting that they don't mention blockchain specific, specifically here. Um, I don't think blockchain has really panned out to be what everyone expected it to be, which is another topic for another time. Well, that's it for us today on Winner Take All. Thanks for joining us, and I'll talk to you soon.